been a blessing to be here already. I have enjoyed this day. I'm encouraged by the turnout. I was just sitting there thinking how comfortable I feel with you preachers here this morning. I really do. You know, I thank God for every uh, independent Baptist preacher who stands for the book and wants to get folks saved. But there, there are some that I just, I'm at home with. And I feel at home with you, man. I mean that to the bottom of my heart. And thanks for the privilege of serving in this area of the country with you. I think all of us, except for the one from Wisconsin back here, uh, from Illinois, of course, Brother Booth from Iowa, but uh, we're just privileged to be here today. And I've enjoyed what I've heard so far immensely. Absolutely just enjoyed it. Brother Castle, thank you. And not many men could do what he's done. I don't know many. I know more men who've taken a, who've taken live churches and killed them <laughs> than, I, than I have taken dead churches and restored them. So, but anyway, uh, and I I, I couldn't. I, I just want to give a, a a a hoorah for what he said about being too quick on a missions program. I just think that needs to be said. Uh, there's some things that you, we we kind of. We kind of hold out there as kind of a uh, notch in our gun belts. It seems like, boy, as soon as we can talk about supporting missionary, and believe me, I'm for it. My goal is to have 200 at our church. We're about 180 something right now, so we're for foreign missions. But and I believe it's the lifeblood of the church. But I really believe what he said was true. I really do. I I, I really feel that way, and I've even counseled that way myself that. Uh, and get that pastor cared for. God blesses a church for being involved in missions. God blesses a church for taking care of their pastor, too. It really does. And so, thank you, Brother Castle, for sharing that wisdom with us. I really I have enjoyed it. Brother Barber, we rejoice with you in God's good blessings in Shorewood. What a great area. I was so thrilled to hear that he was going there. It's not far from us, but it is a growing area, needy area. And you know, you can't assume, friends... That, you know, well, there's already Baptist churches there, so they don't need a church. Some of those church, I, listen, two or three of those churches were independent Baptist churches, and now they're not. They've compromised. They've gone the emergent church route. Some of them pastored by pastors' sons, men who are independent Baptists, but their sons are going other direction now. And, uh, you know, reseeding Illinois, uh, and, and boy, I hope you're okay, brother, but I, I have a couple of messages on church planning. But when I began to pray about this meeting, it just didn't seem like I could get any peace on that. And I've got something I hope that I help I help you this morning. Um, now I look around. I mean, brother Tom, brother Dad, brother Dad McMurtry here. He, he's already been involved in church planning. Brother Fritz has already been involved in church planning. Brother Robertson has already been involved in church planning. Some of the other men have too. So I don't think maybe maybe that's why God didn't lead me that direction. Reseeding Illinois is not a hierarchy. It's it's all it is is a structure to help men get started if they need it. Brother Barber, uh, Barber didn't need it. He had his own program. All, we just pitched in and helped where we could. He would have started here with his dad's church, just his dad's church. They had they had it all in place to start here. We just helped. That's all we want to do is just be a help and a blessing. If a man has no idea what to do, we kind of have a structure that's worked in some places. But these men knew what they wanted to do and had it going. And uh, so we just try to pitch in financially and try to recruit people to help. And it's been encouraging. It's been slow, but it's been encouraging to see other churches jump in now and start to get involved. Our state needs help. We are sick from the crown of our head to the sole of our feet. 
And uh, we need help immensely. And the only thing I know, you know, and I'm not against political causes, fellas that are right and good, but we're not going to change this this thing politically until it starts. I have folks in my church, I know you do too, who've been saved and they vote differently now because they know what this book teaches. And I remember I went. I went. And if, I'm not. I'm not totally anti-union. Don't take this up. Don't take this anti-union completely. But I. I want a staunch union activist to Christ. Uh, back in 1991, who got in our church has been, and he votes differently today because he's learned some Bible values. So we can turn this thing around, but we've got to get folks saved first. <laughs> teach what the Bible says and we need churches to do that so thank you so much for for all that we've heard this morning it's just been an absolute blessing I was thinking about Brother Dad McMurtry down here and his wife and how this has just got to bless their hearts to sit here this morning and see their son and his wife and family amen and now uh, out here and your wife's your assistant pastor but you know you uh, you get to kiss your assistant pastor amen <laughs> Brother Jason was my assistant pastor for six years. I, I promise you I never did that to him. Amen. <laughs> Let's get over in the book of Job, chapter 23. I do want to give you what God has for us this morning. I hope it will be a blessing and a help. And there's several younger preachers here, maybe even for us older guys too. But uh, maybe God will speak to our hearts this morning, I, I think, through what we want to bring you here out of Job, chapter 23. Preachers need preaching. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. And uh, I like it myself. I need it. You heard? Yeah, I know. You probably there's not a joke you haven't heard somewhere. But most of them, maybe you've forgotten them. Okay, so you heard about the preacher who went out for a ride on his bicycle, saw the little boy on the sidewalk trying to sell a lawnmower, and the preacher needed a lawnmower, and he thought, you know, I got bicycles, but I need a lawnmower. So he didn't have any money. So he said to the fellow, he said, he said, son, he said, would you consider a trade for this uh, for this bicycle and for that lawnmower? And that little boy said, you got his eyes got that. He said, you you trade that bicycle for this mower? He said, sure. He said, take a ride. So he gave him, take go down the block a couple, go down the street a couple of blocks. So he did. And the pastor's standing there and he makes a big circle, comes back and he says, Mr. He said, this is a nice bike. He said, you'll trade this lumber for that? And he said, yes, sir, I will, son. And he said, okay, boy, they shook hands. And the fellow said, thank you. And the little boy went off on his bike, you know, and the preacher started down the sidewalk with the mower down the street. He thought to himself, he thought, man, I didn't even see if this thing runs. And so he reached out and he started, you know, pulling on the crank a little bit and didn't, didn't kick off, didn't start. So he said, son, he's still a couple blocks away. He said, come here. He said, listen, he said, uh, by the way, I don't want to discourage you, but it's snowing outside. I just looked out there in the window and saw it. So, but, uh, yeah, so he said, son, come here. He said, uh, he said, hey, this mower won't start. And pulling the, the rope and he won't start. And Bill was, oh, I'm sorry, mister. He said, he said, I'm sorry. He said, I forgot to tell you, but that's a, that's an ornery lawnmower, cantankerous lawnmower. You've got to cuss at it to get it started. And the man said, cuss at it. He said, son, he said, listen, he said, you understand, I'm saved. I'm not just saved. I'm a preacher. I've been preaching for 30 years. He said, son, I've forgotten how to cuss. And the little boy just smiled and said, sir, you keep pulling that rope. It'll come back to you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, me. 
Now, Brother Stedman finally got his mower started, amen? So, uh, <laughs> I'm just teasing you. Let's stand together, please. Uh, Job 23, give you a chance to stretch your legs, and I will not belabor the message because with Mexican food downstairs, uh, you won't be paying attention much longer, okay? So, let me, but uh, I do want to preach this for a little bit here. Verse number 8, Behold, I go forward, but he is not there, Job speaking, and backward, but I cannot perceive him on the left hand where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand that I cannot see him, but he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I'd like to speak to you for a few moments on the subject, navigating through the zone of silence. Navigating through the zone of silence. Let's pray together. Father, it's been good to be here this morning. My heart's so encouraged. It is such a blessing to be standing in a church that was not in existence just a few years ago. And now you've sent a man to this needy area. And here, Lord, these people are in this building and glorifying, worshiping you with their lives on Sunday and throughout the week. And then, Lord, to hear the testimony of another church just three weeks old. And down in Quincy, another church just a couple of years old. And, Lord, it's exciting. And then, Lord, to look out and see the men that have been in their churches for 30, 35, and some, I guess 40 years in some cases. How encouraging it is. What a blessing. I feel honored to be counted in their number. I pray that you'll bless me this morning to be an encouragement and help to everybody here. May your word speak to our heart. Please, oh God, fill us with power in Jesus' name. And amen. In the Pacific Ocean, you may be seated. And keep your Bible open there to Job 23. About 90 miles off the coast of Vancouver Island, there is a stretch of water that... The mariners refer or call, refer to or call the zone of silence. I read about it some years ago, and you know, you can't believe everything you, so I did some research to find out that it actually does exist. The area is acoustically dead. No sound can penetrate into that place. No bells or sirens or alarms can be heard. It is absolutely void of sound. It's a zone of silence. Now, it is also a stretch where below, not too far below the surface of the ocean, there are dangerous reefs. And so the combination is deadly. No warning signals can enter. And then dangerous reefs not too far below the surface of the ocean. And the ocean floor in that area is littered with sunken vessels. The captains of those vessels failed to successfully navigate through what they call the zone of silence. Now, I want to say this morning that I believe there is something mighty precious about being God's child and enjoying His presence as we navigate through this life. I uh, I enjoyed some sweet time this morning in my car coming over from Bourbonnet with the Lord and sensed His presence. And I know many of you have done the very same thing. There are those times when, as you drive down the road and you're in prayer and talking to the Lord, you feel like, honestly, you feel like you could reach over and touch Him in the passenger's seat. His presence is so real and so sweet. I like how the songwriter put it. He speaks and the sound of His voice is so sweet the birds hush their singing. And the melody that He gave to me within my heart is ringing. And He walks with me. And He talks with me. And He tells me that I am His own. And the joy we share 
as we tarry there, none other has ever known. And boy, those times are sweet. How wonderful that presence, how wonderful that guidance, how wonderful the comfort, the assurance, the blessing of the presence of God. But as I read my Bible, it also becomes clear to me that God's people sometimes go through the zone of silence. Where it seems no sound or voice can penetrate. And that presence that at one time was so close, I wonder where is it gone? It just doesn't seem to be there anymore. I believe, I'm not going to preach this, but I believe some in the Bible entered into the zone of silence because of personal sin. And I believe sin will disconnect us from the very presence of God as far as His sweet presence goes. And I think about Eli Eli and his two sons. And the Bible says there that the Word of the Lord was precious in those days. And the word precious there not meaning sweet. The word, of the, the word precious there meaning rare. The Word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no open vision. There were very few messages from God. His Word was not flowing freely to Eli and his boys. In fact, at the temple, sad to me that Eli lay in his bed in the zone of silence while just down the hall a few feet from him, God was speaking to the heart of a young man named Samuel and calling his name and visiting Samuel. But Eli was in the zone of silence because of personal sin. But I want to deal with that this morning. I believe that others in the Bible entered into the zone of silence according to God's plan. God's plan. And I believe that's what happened to Job here in his book. I don't have to familiarize you with the story of Job. You know that during that horrible tragedy of losing everything, his possessions, his ten children, his own health, the Bible says that in all of this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. That's a remarkable statement, friend. You think about that. He never brought a foolish accusation against God during that time of that terrible tragedy. Not one time. And yet it seems like not long after that, Job entered into that awful place where God doesn't speak to the heart. God doesn't impress upon the heart. And it seems like God is not listening. And God is not speaking. And can I remind us this morning, folks, that Job was not used to that. He gives his testimony. Look at just just a couple pages over in your Bible in chapter 29. This is what Job was used to. He is recalling now time before the zone of silence time. And he said in verse 1, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. When His candle, look at these words, fellas, when His candle shined upon my head, and when by His light I walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me. You kind of get the idea that he's talking about a time when God's presence was very real to him. When God's light was clear to him. When God's guidance was right there. A time when God seemed very close. And yet when we read chapter 23, the text verses that we read, that's not where he was in chapter 23. Chapter 29 was what he was used to. And he said, oh, that it it was now as it were in months past. In chapter 23, verse number 8, he says, I go forward, but God is not there. 
and backward, but I cannot perceive Him. On the left hand where He doth work, but I cannot behold Him. He hideth Himself on the right hand that I cannot see Him. Job said, every direction that I turn in my life, I can't find God. I go in front of me and I can't find God. I go behind me and I can't find God. I go on the left hand and I can't find God. I go on the right hand and I can't find God. Anywhere in my... That's not what he was used to. He was used to God's presence in His tabernacle, being right with Him, in His hand there guiding and leading. Now there was no candle shining upon His head. There was no light to walk through the darkness. There was no secret of God upon Him. He could not find the Almighty with Him. There was no thundering voice from heaven like those heard when Jesus was baptized. And there was no still small voice like Elijah heard when he was at the cave. You ever been there? Yes, you have. Some may be there today. And if you haven't been, you will be soon, someday. Now friends, brothers, it is incredibly dangerous. Now hear me this morning. It is incredibly dangerous when we enter those days, those weeks, those months that could be called the zone of silence. Those are dangerous, dangerous times. Dangerous times. David knew what those times were like because he said in Psalm 28.1, Be not silent to me, lest if thou be silent to me, I become like them that go down into the pit. That's what he said. In Psalm 83.1, he said, Keep not thou silence, O God. Uh, have you ever received the silent treatment? Maybe I should rephrase that question. Are you married? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the honest truth of the matter is, you know, we always, fellas always talk about getting the silent treatment from their wife, but I've counseled enough marriage situations where I know that men can give the silent treatment to their husbands as well. That's what I'm talking about this morning. I'm talking about the silent treatment from God. A zone of silence. Job went through it. I don't think Job went through it because of personal sin. I think Job went through it because of God's plan. That's what I want to talk to us about this morning. Job searched for a place where he could hear God's voice. Where he could get God's message. A message of explanation. A message of comfort. A message of understanding. A message of encouragement. A message of direction. A message of assurance. But he found none. He's in the zone of silence. I have two points about this, and we'll go eat a good enchilada this morning. Amen. All right. First of all, I want to talk about what Job remembered. What Job remembered when he hit the zone of silence. And according to his own testimony, there were three truths that he remembered when he hit the zone of silence. He had no visible or audible sign or message from God, but this is what he remembered. It's good for us this morning. Number one, he remembered that God is watching. In the zone of silence, God is watching. Look what he said in verse number 10. He just went through 8 and 9 saying, I go in front of me, behind me, right and left. I can't find God anywhere. But on the heels of that, he says in verse 10, but He knoweth the way that I take. You know what I get from that man? I get from that that Job said, you know what, I can't see him, but he can see me. God knows where I am, and God knows what I'm doing, and God knows what I'm going through. And friend, when we hit the zone of silence, we can't find God anywhere. We need to remember that He can see us. I remember I started working at a grocery store when I was 15 years old in the little unincorporated area where we lived there outside of the 
Smithendale, down by Fairburn and Union Hill, those places uh, in, in uh, Union City in, in, in Georgia there. And uh, I had been there a couple of weeks and I was stocking groceries uh, in an aisle with uh, well, one of the fellow employees who'd been there for a while, Daryl White. And we were talking and stocking, you know, stocking the shelves and everything. And I happened to look above the shelves and just it wasn't a large store. It was, it was a mom and pop type. It wasn't a chain. Just a mom and pop type grocery store. And here was this dark window that I saw near the top of the wall. And uh, I, I, I couldn't see through it. It's like a dark window that you couldn't see through. And I said to Daryl, I said, Daryl, what is that? And he said, what? I said, that up there, that window up there. You can't. He said, oh, you don't know what that is. And I said, no. He said, that's a, that's a, that is a, what do you call a two-way glass, a one-way glass, you know? He said, behind that glass is Mr. Ramsey's office. He said, now, you and I look up at that. It looks like a dark window. You can't see through it. But Mr. Ramsey can see all the way through it. And he says he gets up there in his office every now and again, sometimes during the day, and he watches for shoplifters. In fact, he caught shoplifters. He caught. I remember never forget, man. This this couple walked out the store one time. I was bagging groceries, and you know they took the they took the bags out to their car. Man, here came Mr. Ramsey, shot out of that door, and was out to get him because they he'd seen them shoplifting. They got a bunch of stuff stuck under their coats and everything. So he caught guys shoplifting. And he said, so sometimes he watches for shoplifters, and he said other times he's up there watching to see how. We're working. He said to keep an eye on his employees to see how they're doing when they think the boss isn't around. And I just want to remind you, fellas, this morning, that made an impression on me way back then. Amen. And that's before I knew the Bible teachings about all the how employees ought to work for their employers. And what I'll say this morning, when we hit the zone of silence, we need to remember that God is watching. You know, Hezekiah hit the zone of silence. The Bible says that God left him for a season. In case there's a new Christian here, I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning to think that you lose your salvation. I'm not talking about losing salvation. You can't undo a birth. You can't undo your physical DNA if you wanted to. And when you're born to God, you can't undo spiritual DNA. Amen. I'm happy that I'm saved. I couldn't be unsaved if I wanted to be unsaved this morning. But uh, so I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about that closeness with God. I'm talking about that presence I was talking about this morning. I'm talking about Brother Hezekiah hit that zone of silence. The Bible says that God left him for a season. To try him to see how he would do. And friend, I believe with all of my heart that you and I hit those zones. And you know what? We can't find God anywhere. But we need to remember that God is standing over in the corner watching exactly what's going on. He knows exactly what's happening in our lives. Number two, not only did Job remember that God was watching, God is watching. He remembered that God is waiting. God is waiting. I like that second statement there in verse number 10. He said, first of all, he knows the way that I take. He's watching. And then he said, number two, when he hath tried me. When he hath tried me. I love that because it tells me that the zone of silence is not indefinite. It has a starting point and it has a stopping point. When he hath tried me. And fellas, I want to say this morning that God is patient. And when we hit the zone of silence, God has a starting point for that zone and He has an ending point for that zone. He has a completion period that He's going to take us through. And He is a patient God. And we need to remember, remember that our calendar and our days aren't exactly like God's timetable and like His days. I was reading my Bible one day 
And I was reading over in Psalm 105, and it's talking about Joseph over there in Psalm 105. And in verse number 19, this was a tremendous verse. It jumped out at me. Listen to what it says. Talking about Joseph down in Egypt and in the prison. And he said, Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. Until the time that His Word came, the Word of the Lord tried him. And what I took out of that, the Holy Ghost helped me, was Job, uh, Joseph entered into a trial. God started that trial, and God was going to end that trial. And until God was done, it wasn't going to end. And Joseph could wish that it was over. And I'm sure Job could wish that his zone of silence would come to an end. And you and I hit the zone of silence. And we wish that it would come to an end. But friend, God is not going to end that thing until He is ready. When He had tried me. I'm sure Joseph thought that he had ended his zone of silence when he interpreted the butler and the baker's dreams. Remember that? And he told the butler, and then they came and said, Pharaoh's called for you to restore you back to your position. And he thought, man, I'm in like flat now. And he told that fellow, don't forget me. And that butler promised, oh, I couldn't forget you. Well, friend, I'm going to tell you for two full years. Now you think about that. That guy's restored to his position because of that old boy down in prison. And for two full years, he forgot it. You know why I believe he forgot it? I believe he forgot it because God wasn't done. Was Joseph ready for it to be done? Oh, man. You know he was. But friend, God was not ready for it to be done. And until God's completion point came, Joseph stayed in that zone of silence. Now, some of you men, you know, we've flown enough over the years here. I wouldn't care if I ever saw the inside of another airplane. I mean that with all of my heart. And uh, when I started flying as a young man, I used to get aggravated at airport delays. Oh, I used to get aggravated. You know, you go there, you know, the planes got delayed 30 minutes, and they never tell you anything, you know. They delayed an hour, and I used to fume, and I used to fret, and I used to fram around like you couldn't believe. I was an immature person for sure, and I haven't grown up a whole lot since then. But I have learned a little bit about things at the airport. You know, it finally, I guess, dawned on me one day that when those delays are weather-related, and I'm looking outside the window at the airport, and I'm looking at a decent day with the sun shining, or at least, you know, there's no ice, no storms, it seems like it should delay us. I realize, I think to myself, why in the world aren't we leaving? And I realize that there are people in that tower who have the knowledge, not only of what the weather is like where I am, they have the knowledge of what the weather is like where I'm going, and they also have a knowledge of what the weather is like in between the two destinations. And we got to remember, friend, that God is waiting. When we hit that zone of silence, He is waiting. He has a starting point, and He has an ending point, and it's not going to be done until God is through. So, God is watching. God is waiting. Number three, Job remembered at the end of verse number 10 that God is working. God is working. Look at what he said there. He said, I shall come forth as gold. He said, He knoweth the way that I take. God is watching. When He hath tried me, God is waiting. He said, I shall come forth as gold. God is working on me. And I don't think the word gold is there by accident, brother. God wasn't making silver. And God wasn't making brass. And God wasn't making copper. God was making gold in Job's life. And that takes a little bit more time. The length of the wait is determined by how 
extensive the work is. I know you men that pastor go to the hospital. You got a fellow in your church or lady in your church having a, a knee replacement, and that procedure may take forty five minutes. You pray with them, and you know, and you say, "Call me, have the spouse call me when they get done, or say I'm the hospital away." Sometimes in forty forty five minutes, or that just fix the fix the knee up a little bit. They go in, they get it done. I've been at the hospital for forty five minute operations. I've been up into Chicago, Brother Carroll, at those hospitals up there in Chicago where they did a double oblation on the heart. They worked on the inside of the heart and the outside of the heart, and it was in seven hours. But we're talking about a heart, not a knee. I feel I can live without a knee. And I can't live without a heart. And so the length of the wait, the length of the wait is determined by how extensive the work is. And when I hit the zone of silence, friend, i got to understand that God is working to make me better. It may not seem like it to me, but brethren, God does not sit around the marketplace idle. He does not sit around the marketplace idle. God is busy. God is in a construction phase. God is at work. The truth of the matter is, you know, when Job entered into this time of trial and tragedy, I really believe that God was trying to prove a point to Satan. Isn't that what happened in chapter 1? Well, the only reason He served you is because you blessed Him like you have. And God said, oh, really? And so Job entered that time of trial so God could prove a point to Satan. But before it's over, I believe God was trying to prove a point to Job. And it took God a lot longer to prove a point to Job than it did to prove it to Satan. And I'm just saying this morning that when we hit the zone of silence, we need to understand that God is at work. And brethren, hey, young preachers, listen, especially this morning, sometimes it's not the church, sometimes it's not the ministry that God is working on. It's you and me. It has nothing to do with the church. It has nothing to do with the ministry. God needs to grow us before He can grow the church. God needs to grow us before He can grow the ministry. And so we need to realize that just because you and I can't see the work, that doesn't mean that nothing is going on. God is not idle. He's at work. So Job remembered those three things. He said, I'm in the zone of silence. I can't find God anywhere. I go in front of me, behind me, right, left. God is nowhere in my life. But I'm not going to fall apart. I'm not going to have a breakdown here because I remember that God is watching, God is waiting, and God is working. That will help me and you. But then I want to point, end up this morning, number two, with what, how Job responded. What Job remembered and then how Job responded. Look at verse number 11. Look, look at his first response. He said, my foot. Now because he remembered, because he remembered that God is watching, waiting, and working, He said, now, this is my response, My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. He determined to keep God's way. That's how he responded. He never deviated from God's way. He said, my feet have held His steps. What's He saying there? He said, I'm going to continue to walk with God. I'm going to continue to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to keep moving in God's way. There may not be any motivation. There there may not be any inspiration right now. In fact, it seems to be all perspiration. But I'm just going to keep going. I'm not going to quit. And more importantly, or as important, I'm not going to change. Right, man. Right, 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 right. 
I'm not going to go looking for another way because it seems like God is not with me in this way. I know what God's way is. I know what God's will is. I know what God's Word is. And I'm not going to deviate. My foot hath held His steps. His way have I kept. I'm not changing. And I want to say to the young preachers, especially this morning, but even to us older guys, now, brother, this is what scares me that I believe with all of my heart. This is what happens to young preachers in ministries where you have a grand opening, Brother Barber, and boy, boom, you're off and running. But you know what? After a little while, you hit that zone of silence and it seems like, where's God? God was so real. God was so close. God was so right there. And now everywhere I look in my study, on my in my prayer closet, on the streets, out soul winning, in my pulpit, it seems like God is not within a thousand miles of me. And all of a sudden, young preachers decide, well, you know what? It's not working. It's not working anymore. And usually when they're talking about it's not working, they're talking about two things, Brother Castle. They're talking about soul winning and separation. It's not working. It's not working, man. And so I'd go out and I and I find somebody's way. I find somebody's book. I find some new thing. I find this and I find that. And I decide that I'm going to change just a little bit here, and I'm going to change about this. And you know, have a little bit different opinion about Calvinism, brother. I, I, I'm, I'm preaching the choir this morning on Calvinism. But I'm so tired of that. I don't believe what. I'd be like to use the Bible many places to, to refute that heresy. But I really only need one Bible verse, and that's Isaiah 53 6, where it says, "All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all." That verse begins with all and ends with all. I fit in the first all. I fit in the last. Right. That's the only verse I need. Yeah. If we've all gone astray, and that means all, and He's laid on Him the iniquity of us all, that means all. But boy, we start we start getting different opinions because it's not working. It's not working. And people aren't responding. And folks aren't visiting. And I'm not seeing as many saved as I want to. And it's not like it was in the 70s. And when churches were growing by leaps and bounds. Folks, look. Do we really? I I was saved in the 70s, so I firsthand what was going on back then. And yes, there was a move of God like you couldn't believe in the 70s. All over this country. And I got privileged to get to know some of those men of God. And I do not mean them any irreverence or do not mean to minimize their character, their vision, but are we really going to attribute what happened in the 70's to those men? God was at work. And those men got in on what God was doing. And God used them. But I am convinced that God is no less at work today. He may not be working like He did in the 70's, but I'm not one to question Him. He's God. And I believe He's still at work in His way, in His perfect time, His perfect place. I just got to find out how God's working today and get in on it. You know what? I still believe it's, it, it, it's, you know, soul winning and separation worked when churches were growing, but now that churches aren't growing, we've got to chuck all that. No, sir. I believe soul winning and separation are right because they're Bible doctrines. Bible doctrines. And so you know what? Just because it's not happening as fast as I want it to, 
or at the pace or the rate that I want it to, I'm not going to chuck it and change. I'm not going to go looking for something else. Be careful, fellas. Listen, do you understand, friend? Take these two Bible preachers. Take it, take, think about this. Take old Ezekiel there. You talk about a man of God. You ever read some of the stuff he was required to do? We talk, we talk about persecution. He had to lay on his side. What was it, for 390 days on his left side? Made a little model of Jerusalem and laid on his left side and looked at it? And then turned over and laid on your right side 40 days? And then as a priest, he had to shave half of his head and his beard off as a priest? And throw the hair up in the air and set the boat on fire and chop it up? What are you and I complaining about, huh? Well, you just don't understand what God's called me to do. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. When I get to heaven, I'm going to shake the your <laughs> My gracious. What that man... Isaiah had to walk around. I don't think he was buck naked. I don't think God would ever require that of anybody. But I think by biblical standards, he was naked. Yeah. Think about that. Ezekiel went there. You won't find a prophet more committed to God, more obedient to God. His wife dies in the evening and God says, go preach in the morning. You're talking about an obedient preacher. Well, how did they respond to him? God told him before he went there. said, I'm going to make their foreheads like an adamant stone. They're not going to respond to you. They're not going to hear you. They're not going to like you. They're not going to respect you. But at least they'll know there's been a prophet among them. I love that, friend. Ezekiel was a man of God, a committed man of God, an obedient man of God. He got no response. Jonah? He's a backslider. Jonah flees in the presence of the Lord. Because he's biased and prejudiced. He wants the Ninevites to get saved. He knew if he goes there and preaches what God wants him to preach, they'll turn to God. He didn't want him to. Right. Yeah. Everybody a preacher like that? Yeah. <laughs> Most preachers I know want people to come to Christ. Yeah. He don't want to go because he knows they'll get saved. Yeah. <laughs> Spends three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. Dukes him up. He goes over there. <laughs> preaches a few words. And the whole town comes out to get born. Do you tell me? See, it's not just, look, so folks just aren't responding. Hey, folks, look, God's at work. You stay faithful to that book. You stay faithful to your calling. Whether God seems close or far away, you just, He's waiting, He's watching, He's waiting, and He's working. So just don't change. Just keep it up. Keep going. You know what scares me, Brother Tommy? Younger Tommy, what scares me, Brother? Come on, you stand here, just a minute. Yes, uh, he's right here, see. Now, if Brother Tommy, as a young preacher, gets the zone of silence, and uh, I represent what he's been trained by that good man, yes. the preacher, yes. okay, and this is the way, won't he in it? Mm-hmm. And Brother Tommy hits the zone of silence, and he yes. gets discouraged, and he can't find God anywhere. Look at yeah. this church. What in the world? And he gets some kind of material from somebody, some kind of idea about, well, you know, man, maybe this thing is soul-winning separation. Maybe it's not, you know, everything is crafted to be. And if he, if he deviates two degrees, mm-hmm. just a slight turn, where we are right now, you probably could not tell that. Mm-hmm. But you give it ten years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He walks 
from the degree that he's standing. Yeah. And I walk that 90 degree. I'm going to tell you something in 10 years, we're going to be far from it. Yeah, that's good for you. All right. Just think about stuff, buddy. Amen. That's good for you. I know I hate what you do. Yeah, that's good. One good thing about that, we come over here and hear you about the back of the neck. Yes, sir. I'm burdened. Yeah. Amen. I am burdened. I'm burdened that we that in one hour's drive from our church, Brother Barber, there are four men. One hour drive from Faith Baptist Church, four men who are independent Baptists who are not today. Young men in their late twenties and early thirties. And a lot of times it's when they hit this zone of silence and they feel like, what in the world's going on? God's not at work. God's at work. Just keep on. And so he, re, he, he determined to keep God's way. he got to quit. Number two, and this seems so elementary, but it's right in the book here. He determined to esteem God's Word. Look at verse 12. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of His lips. I have esteemed the words of His mouth more than my necessary food. You know what, if I could give any advice to you, a younger man, and even anybody else, a Christian, don't have to be a preacher to hit the zone of silence. That can happen to a Christian. If I can give you any advice when you hit the zone of silence, look, I am for good books. Good books. Okay? I'm for good books. I think Paul read books, made that clear two different places in the New Testament. He was a reader. But when you hit the zone of silence, I can make a suggestion. The only book Amen. I would give any attention to. <laughs> because what happens with most of men's books? Most of men's books we have to read through and sift. Mm-hmm. Right. Isn't that what we tell people? Yeah. This is a good book. This is a good book. You know, but Brother French, you're going to have to take it. You're going to have to take what's good out of it. Yeah. And you know what? When I'm in the zone of silence, I don't know that I am, I don't know that I am capable yes, sir. of discerning what's good and what's not good. Yeah. So you know what I better do? Yeah. I better just put my nose in a book that's all good. There you go. Amen. Just stay in that book. Amen. Yeah, you mean read the Bible? Oh yeah, I mean read the Bible. I mean play it in your car. Yeah. Amen. I mean read it more. Mm-hmm. I leave good. all men's books closed. That's what happens. This is what's happening. Yeah. They hit the zone of silence and they're running out there and picking up all these books written by these business executives yeah. 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 Yes. want us to have a financial corporation yes. instead yeah. of a church. Right. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And, and, and all these compromising preachers, like the Rick Warrens and others in the world. Yep, right. Amen. I'm going to tell you, brother, when I'm in the zone of silence, I need one book. Yes, one book. Amen. I need to get my nose in this book, and I need to keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I need to regard his ways. I need to esteem his word. I don't want to change what I'm doing, and I don't want to give up on the Bible and get into it more and more and more. And one morning. You've been in the zone of silence. You haven't found God in front of you. Behind you, right or left. You've been doing the same things. And one morning you walk into the office where he has been completely silent for how long? And you get on your knees and say, You're God. And he says, Yes, son. Yes, sir. You're back. I've been waiting. Yeah. I've been watching. Yeah. I've been waiting. And you don't even know it, but I've been working. I've been working on you more than I've been working on the church. (laughs) And God's back. And His candle is shining on our head again. And His light is there for darkness. And the secret of His tabernacle is upon us again. And when you get in the car driving down the road, you reach over and it's like you can touch Him. He's back. He's back. Oh, He wasn't far away. It just seemed like it. It's the zone of silence. It's the zone of silence. 
And by the way, let me, let me discourage you, but you'll hit more than one. <laughs> oh, yes. Just remember, He's watching, He's waiting, He's working. And you regard His way and you esteem His Word. And you'll come out of it. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. Father, bless the messages to our hearts today. I thank You for the sage advice we got from Brother Castle. And Lord, it's amazing what You've used him to do. Most most of it. I don't think I could do it, Lord. Most men in this room maybe not do it. I thank You, Lord, for Job's advice, what the Holy Spirit gave us through His book. Help us to pay attention to it this morning. And I just pray that You'll encourage anybody in this room. Lord, maybe there's somebody this morning. They're in the zone of silence right now. It's just... It's, it's just dead. Doesn't seem to be any sound, any guidance, any help. Lord, help them to be faithful. Help me. Help us, Lord, to remember that you're waiting and you're watching and you're working. And Lord, help us to regard your way and not change and help us to esteem your word above all others. And I'll thank you for it. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. And Miss Cassandra will start playing on the piano. Invitation song. If you want to use the altar, it's open this morning. And God's name.